0: Hey guys, and welcome back to the FFP. My name is Christian, and today we're going to be talking about a couple of fantasy sleepers that I like heading into the 2020 season. And uh, through a couple of comments you guys got, I think I may have gotten the sound figured out. Somebody mentioned that we've been getting some sound spikes every once in a while where it gets super loud. Hopefully we can avoid that, though I'm really bad at this, so if the problem continues, please make sure to leave a comment and give me a little bit more help on it. Lastly, before we get into it, let's kind of define what a sleeper is. And really, ultimately, for me, I think there's two types of sleepers. And this is an important question to answer. I'll tell you why in a minute. But for me, the two types of sleepers are, I call them outperformers and surprisers. An outperformer is a guy who's simply outperformed what he had done in previous seasons. If you're talking about a guy who comes in his rookie season and really kind of stinks, but then suddenly his second year he makes big improvements— and has a good fantasy season, well, that would be a sleeper. Uh, But we also see sleepers are guys who even could have had good seasons in the past. It's really about outperforming your expected value. Uh, I think there are a lot of guys who maybe will switch a team, go to a worse team, they'll be recovering from a knee injury, they'll be, you know, 40 years old or whatever. And and so a lot of people aren't big on them, and yet they surprise us and have a good season. That could also qualify as a sleeper, though I think the, the first category of especially younger guys in the NFL are more common for us to find sleepers. But um, the reason i wanted to talk about the definition of a sleeper is we're going to talk about some sleepers today in this video but they're not my favorite guys we've talked a lot of recently about some real studs must own running backs and must own receivers things like that some really elite guys Sleepers are not elite. They're not going to be locks to be running back ones or wide receiver ones or anything like that. When you draft a sleeper, you are accepting some risk, and so sleepers typically aren't taken in the first couple of rounds, Uh, but I I do want to clarify that because you guys leave some awesome comments. You guys leave some really great insight and analysis onto the players that I've talked about. Um, but I have a feeling making this video I'm going to bring up a couple guys names and people are going to say they got a bad team and they didn't perform well last year and right we're going to talk about some of their downsides we definitely are and we want to stay you know kind of realistic with it Uh, but they are sleepers for a reason and these guys are not foolproof picks whenever you take a sleeper you're gambling at least a little bit so why not talk about it let's get into it with the first guy All right, so the first guy that I wanna talk about on this list is David Montgomery. And as with pretty much every other video, we're gonna follow a pretty simple formula. I'm gonna bury my head in this phone here and just read off some of the stats and research that I have done. We're gonna talk about some of the positives. And then after that, we'll address the negatives. And he was one of those guys that came to mind and the reason that I just talked about that whole, these guys are sleepers, but yeah, there's definitely downside on them. I think a lot of people got burned by David Montgomery and I'm gonna put him in this video. And I think a lot of people are gonna be irritated at me and call me an idiot, Uh, but no, I don't think he's got the perfect situation but anyways let's just get into it first things first he did have a low yards per carry and and i wanted to address that because at 3.7 yards per carry that was bad and we've addressed a lot of running backs with low yards per carry this uh kind of this off season talking about like todd Gurley and david johnson it seems like last year there was a lot of running backs who were just not very efficient um but i think there's more to it than that Uh, First of all, to give you a frame of reference, 3.7 yards per carry was 45th among running backs. That is a horrendous yards per carry. It was truly bad. But... I think there's some bright sides to this. It's not just looking at yards per carry. One of the things I love to do is look at yards per carry in comparison to his teammates. And suddenly it doesn't look so bad. His 3.7 yards per carry looks great compared to Tariq Cohen's 3.3 and Mike Davis's 2.3. So again, suddenly that's a big step up and does give us at least a little bit of an idea that, hey, it's probably some major offensive line issues that, of course, the Bears will be addressing this offseason and hopefully improving their offensive line. So for one... I don't think his low yards per carry is that big of a problem. I don't think it's entirely his fault, and I definitely wonder what that offensive line is going to look like this year. It's something to monitor in the draft, see what kind of players they're picking up and how their offensive line is looking. That's going to add or subtract a lot of value from Montgomery, although I suppose their line couldn't get much worse than it was last year. Um, so we got that out of the way. Uh, to look at it specifically, I, I wanted to point this out real quick. The pairs, uh, they're the 12th worst run blocking offensive line and the 13th worst pass blocking offense of line um, so really bad all around but what really hurt him most in the yards per carry area and i feel like we're really sticking with this one thing here um, to kind of clear up the air because i know people hit the panic button on guys like david montgomery for that reason um, but uh, uh, but another thing that really hurt him excuse me is the bears were also bottom eight in the nfl in passing yards passing touchdowns and they were last in average yards per passing attempt The fact of the matter is they weren't really stretching the field. They weren't making big passing plays. They weren't efficient in the passing game. Um, Ultimately, they just weren't getting it done. And when you have a bad offensive line and a bad passing game, that is a recipe for pressure on the running back. Eight-man boxes, loaded boxes, bringing the pressure and stuffing it at the line. If they can make any improvements at all, he's going to have a much easier time next year. And, of course, them adding Nick Foles, as their quarterback could very well be the, one of the improvements that they need. I don't think their offense is as bad as it seems. Heck, I think Allen Robinson is a pretty darn good wideout. They just need to get a couple of pieces together, and not a whole lot, but just enough, could be a, a really solid boost to David Montgomery's numbers that being said he had a, a pretty darn good rookie year it was far from amazing it wasn't fantastic but as a whole his year wasn't awful he did have six rushing touchdowns which put him 16th among running backs um, in the rushing touchdown category 16th is around that rb2 range of course he didn't finish as an rb2 quite but um you get the point he was actually just three rushing touchdowns away from being eighth among running backs in rushing touchdowns so suddenly if you're in a standard league he's three touchdowns away from actually having a very good fantasy rookie season and what we just talked about with the yards per carry not only not being his fault and i fully believe it the bears are really just a few changes away from giving him that help i could very well see him getting those three or four extra touchdowns now again i want to talk about this briefly i don't think that's a guarantee there is some risk involved, but if you're looking for a sleeper and you can draft him at the right time, these are some reasons to think that he's definitely close to having a bit of a, a breakout or improving next year. One of the other things I like about him, though, is the volume. Uh, the volume is half the battle in fantasy. I don't care how talented you are. If you get one touch a game, you are not producing. Um, this is not the case with him. However, he had 242 carries and 25 catches last year, so that equals out to 267 touches, which is 12th most of running backs last season the 12th most that makes him an RB1 in the touches category so he's got the volume he absolutely has the volume in fact What's even more impressive about that is he had just 112 carries in the first eight games, but 130 carries in the last eight games. So that tells us a lot about the fact that he was actually getting more volume, not by a lot, but more volume in the second half of the year. And while he did see just 33 targets and 25 catches, that's actually more than Josh Jacobs. Now, I love to compare fellow running backs, two guys who came out of the same draft class last year. They got compared a lot. And the reason I want to point that out is Josh Jacobs is a beloved guy. Everybody thought he had a phenomenal rookie season and barely anyone had any complaints about him and so these complaints go on David Montgomery but he was actually slightly more effective in the passing game neither of these guys were studs in the passing game but something you need to know about running backs is they struggle in the passing game their rookie season. The modern-day NFL is asking running backs to not only be great running backs, but also to know the route trees and have the catching capability of wide receivers. It's very difficult. That's why we see running backs like Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette. These guys take multiple years to get into the point where they are starting to hit their peak in catching. In fact, Leonard Fournette came into the NFL being known as a guy who had bad hands and was not great in the passing game. And last year, I believe he had 75 catches. So that, for me, is huge. The downsides are I don't like that offense is not great. The quarterback situation is not great, and his yards per carry was low. The upsides are the yards per carry being low is a bit deceiving. He definitely uh, seemed like he was getting it done in the red zone, finding the touchdowns. I think he very well could improve, and if not, he is doable in the passing game. Ultimately, he is just a slight offensive improvement away from being a bit of a sleeper this year. Um, Again, he is a gamble like we mentioned, but I want to hear from you guys. What do you think about this David Johnson pick? He's not my favorite sleeper running back, but I definitely think he has some value, and at the right place and right time, he's definitely worth taking. All right, so the next guy I want to talk about is Deontay Johnson, Pittsburgh wide receiver. Um, I think a lot of people last year were hyped on him a little bit, um, but for some reason it seems like that excitement has faded off for whatever reason, and that's what's confusing me. Uh, He comes into a rookie season and actually has kind of a good rookie year with a bad quarterback, not a great situation. And then you go into your next year and nobody expects him to improve off of that. That's what really confuses me. So so let's talk about it. Because first of all, according to ADP, he's the wide receiver 57 off the board, which means um, he is barely getting grafted. Um, also, that means both James Washington and Juju Smith-Schuster are being taken ahead of him, which to me is kind of surprising. But let's talk about, of course, there's a lot more to that. And really my first and biggest point as to why I like this guy is improvement from first year to the second year it seems very natural, very likely, almost inevitable that he is going to improve. Not only becoming more mature, better wide receiver who just plays better football, but the massive improvement that the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to have at quarterback is they'll finally be getting Ben Roethlisberger back. And I tell you what, good quarterbacks equal good fantasy wideouts. That is plain and simple. Look at it. DeAndre Hopkins had Deshaun Watson. Michael Thomas has Drew Brees. Adam Thielen has at least had Kirk Cousins. I mean, when you look at it, if you want to be a Good or a great wide receiver, if you want to get up into that wide receiver one category, you need at least a doable quarterback, something the Steelers did not have. Now they get Rothisberger back. They've got more than a doable quarterback. I think he is a good quarterback. I think he's a very good quarterback. And so when we look at it in 2018 he threw over 5,100 yards and 34 touchdown passes and there was room to throw the ball around antonio brown had 104 catches and 15 touchdowns schuster went for almost 1500 yards on 111 catches and seven tds i mean it was just airing the ball out left and right so yeah we know that that's something that could very well happen with the play of ben roethlisberger he can throw the ball well and there's going to be room for wide receivers to perform if they can get open something that i think that Deontay Johnson can do, but of course there's more to it than that. Um, When we look at it, uh, the quarterback play for the Steelers wasn't just average or below average. It wasn't just bad. It was horrendous. It was really awful. Um, In 2018 with Ben Roethlisberger, the Steelers were second in average yards per passing attempt. Meanwhile in 2019 without Ben Roethlisberger the Steelers were second to last in average yards per passing attempt so they went from the second best to the second worst in just one year. Now part of that was down to the loss of Antonio Brown but I definitely think that a lot of that comes down to the the loss of Ben Roethlisberger as well due to injury. And of course, the Steelers went from a team QBR of 95 down to just 75. So that's my first point. Quarterback play going to be much improved for a young wide receiver. And as I've always said on this channel, I think it takes about three years to really see how talented a wide receiver is. And so for me... We're gonna see definitely some improvement from him, and I think part of the reason he's getting overlooked is with Terry McLaurin, we've got AJ Brown, DK Metcalf. There's a lot of young stud wideout, like Marquez Brown. Even there's so many young wide receivers, so many rookies last year that performed so well that I guess he just kind of gets lost in the shuffle, so to speak. But there's a lot more to it than that. First of all, as a third round draft rookie or a third round rookie wide receiver, he had a really impressive season. He led both Juju Smith-Schuster. And James Washington in targets with 92, receptions with 59, touchdowns with 5, yards after catch with 305, and passer rating generated of over 101. He also led them in catch percentage, avoided tackles. He had 18 avoided tackles. The next best receiver on the team had just four. Uh, It just continues and continues. He also had the lowest drop rate of just 4.8%. The fact of the matter is, statistically, he was the best receiver. He may not have had the most phenomenal season, but ultimately for me... He is a very stud wide receiver and i really like what he's got to go with so let's flip sides now and address some of the negatives as we always want to do on this channel one of the negatives being there's two other good wideouts there james washington he's not a slouch he is a good wide receiver though james washington is a bit of a specialist he's going to be more your deep ball guy and i think he's really going to suffer this next year rather than take steps forward i think his role is going to be kind of staying pat and then of course Judas Schuster being there, if Schuster gets anything back to like what he was the year before, that could very well limit Deontay Johnson. But again, I do want to bring a little bit of balance to this because that is a concern, yes, with Airkeeper on e. Brown there as well and all those weapons, but there have been more weapons there in the past. Remember in the past they had Juju, they had Antonio Brown, remember they had Antonio Brown and they had Le'Veon Bell. There have been a lot of really talented guys and Ben Roethlisberger has managed to get all of them the ball. Um, So that's not as big of a problem when you see just how effective Ben Roethlisberger could be. My other concern for that is they probably won't throw the ball as much. They probably won't have Ben Roethlisberger throw for 5,000 yards. Their defense has been much improved, and that could limit them from needing to throw the ball so much. However, their running game and their running situation is really not amazing. And so that could be one thing that keeps them passing it a little bit more. But that for me is really where I'm at with it honestly I just love the improvement of getting Ben Roethlisberger back and when you look at the numbers he was the most efficient and most effective receiver on that team so I do like Deontay Johnson he's far from a lock but if you're going to take a shot on this guy as a wide receiver 57 in the draft that for me feels like a bit of a steal when you take a look at his upside let's move on guys let's talk about the next player so guys, on that note, I want to talk about Terry McLaurin. I absolutely love Terry McLaurin. And that's the funny thing. He's yet another guy who was a rookie wide receiver last year and was really good. And again, we've talked about guys like DK Metcalf. We've talked about AJ Brown. we talked about, we just talked about Deontay Johnson. And it's funny, we just haven't talked about Terry McLaurin yet. So I tell you what, it's time to talk about this guy. Here's the interesting thing though. A lot of you guys like Terry McLaurin and you're probably looking at me right now saying, How is he a sleeper? But when you look at it, according to average draft position, he is being taken as a wide receiver three. That's pretty crazy for a guy who genuinely has wide receiver one upside and, in my opinion, is going to at least be a wide receiver two. I fully believe that, uh, but it's not what I believe that matters. It's the stats and the facts that count. So let's get into it. Back in 2019, last year, his first year, um, 93 targets, 58 catches, 919 yards, 7 touchdowns on 15.8 average yards per catch. That's a really phenomenal rookie season, but what's important to note is he did it in just 14 games, and he did it with a pretty bad quarterback situation. His 16-game pace, which we love to do, let's count out those missed games and see what he would have done had he played a whole year like everyone else. Uh, He would have had 105 targets, 66 catches, 1,050 yards, and 8 touchdowns. He had a really phenomenal year. In fact, he finished 2nd in yards, targets, receptions, and 3rd in touchdowns among rookie wide receivers. So had he played 16 games, he would have finished first or tied for first in like all of those categories. He would have been statistically the best rookie wide receiver. Um, Again, in a draft class of receivers that is extremely talented. I think of all those guys, I kind of like Terry McLaurin the most as far as his talent goes. I'm just concerned about his quarterback situation. Although one of my biggest points I want to talk about is, hey guys, going into his second year, his quarterback situation just can't get any worse. He's going to get better. He's going to get more talented, and we're at least rolling a 50-50 shot that his quarterback situation gets a little bit better. I mean, either Dwayne Haskins plays and gets better or they put in a different quarterback who will play better. There's no way that Dwayne Haskins can play As bad as he played last year or worse than last year, if he does that, they're they're just not going to play him. They're going to put somebody else in there. They're going to get somebody that can get the job done more than that because it was really, really bad. Um, And in fact, he really was hurt from those numbers. He was. He would have had much better numbers if he had better quarterback play. In fact, he could have been insanely good last year. So when we look at it over the first five games... He had 23 catches on 38 targets, 398 yards, and five touchdowns. That's a really hot start to your NFL career. But What's really important to note about that is that Case Keenum was the quarterback for four of those games. And in those four games, he had 21, or excuse me, he had 20 catches on 31 targets, 347 yards, and five touchdowns in just four games in the first four of the four. First five games of the season with Case Keenum. And that's what's really crazy. That's what really stands out to me is Case Keenum was not a stud quarterback case Keenan was not even an average quarterback he was a below average bad quarterback and the numbers prove it he was 25th in qbr and yet this below average play by quarterback was enough to keep his numbers up it tells you just how bad Dwayne haskins was last year playing qb Um, but if he can get anything improved from that and that's why i like about he was so effective last year terry mclaurin doesn't need an elite quarterback play he doesn't need the best offense All he needs is an average or below average QB, and he can just take that to the house. He is so phenomenal and so athletic, and he just played so stinking well. Um, and that's again something I really like but of course there's a little bit more to it than that he did struggle for quite a few games there but he did finish strong and that's something I liked as well the last three games of the season he had four catches 57 yards and a touchdown five catches 130 yards and a touchdown and seven catches for 86 yards he is hands down the clear cut number one wide receiver on that team which is going to mean a lot as far as how many targets he's going to get I mean we look at like Michael Thomas last year set the record for catches why is that because he also had a ton of targets and he had a ton of targets because he was the only talented wide receiver the Saints had so of course that's going to mean a lot we see this consistently over and over and over again Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Devontae Adams if you want to be a top tier wide receiver you need the volume and that volume comes from being hands down the number one guy on your offense and Terry McLaurin has that but what's really interesting to me is he put up all those numbers. He didn't play 16 games. He had a bad quarterback. There was just thing after thing went wrong and wrong and wrong. But you know what probably went well for him? Probably volume. They probably threw the ball a lot. They were losing a lot. And he probably got a, you know, they probably threw the ball a lot. And that he had at least volume, right? Well, no, actually, he didn't. When you look at it, the Redskins threw the fifth fewest passing attempts last season. He had bad quarterback play and couldn't even make up for that with an increase in volume. Typically, teams that have bad quarterback play lose lots of games and they throw the ball more and more and they get garbage time stats. Didn't really seem like that was a thing Terry McLaurin was getting as much as other wide receivers. So it's really funny to think that he could play two extra games, he could get better quarterback play, And they could throw the ball a lot more. Suddenly, this is looking like a great situation for him. And so for me, he is definitely a sleeper. Because again, keep in mind, most teams are, according to ADP, a lot of people are drafting him as a wide receiver three, which to me seems far, far too low. And finally, guys, we got to talk about Hayden Hurst as a sleeper. For starters, I wanted to talk about a sleeper at the tight end position because, as you guys all know, if you play fantasy, you know, you're know you not taking one of those top two, three, four tight ends. It gets pretty thin out there. There's not a whole lot of talent, and then everybody leaves themselves scratching their head. So here's a guy who you can draft maybe just a little bit later than that that's going to have some more value. As of right now, Hayden Hurst's fantasy, his ADP, his average draft position is the 24th tight end off the board. I think that number is very skewed. I think a lot of people are going to be excited about him, and we're going to see that rise and rise and rise. So if you happen to be watching this video two months from now, that number will not be correct. I think people are going to start catching on to this guy. But as of right now, his ADP is low, and we definitely do have to talk about him because he is a sleeper. He could very well and definitely will outperform what he did last year. But let's break down some of the numbers, plain and simple, why we like him, and of course, a little bit of balance to it, why we don't. For starters, he has got some big shoes to fill and he is inheriting a tight end position on an offense where they love to use tight end there in Atlanta and replacing Austin Hooper. Austin Hooper had 93 targets, 75 catches, just shy of 800 yards and six touchdowns. And Austin Hooper finished, I believe, sixth in fantasy among tight ends. So again really big shoes to fill, especially in an offense that loves their tight ends. I mean, think about it. Matt Ryan has been pretty spoiled by tight ends. He just had Austin Hooper uh, and he also had Tony Gonzalez. So I think For him, he likes to throw to his tight ends, and if Hayden Hurst can get the job done, he absolutely will. There are some quarterbacks that just don't. Aaron Rodgers is not a tight end guy. He just doesn't throw the ball to tight ends very much. Um, But we see guys like Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz has two good tight ends, right? And so a lot of that depends on the style of the quarterback and who they like to throw to. Matt Ryan is a tight end quarterback, and that bodes very well for Hayden Hurst. The question being... Will he get as much volume as Hooper had last year? And what will he do with that volume? What will he do with those targets? And the first interesting interesting thing to note, excuse me, is that uh, he averaged 2.56 fantasy points per touch last season, Hayden Hurst did. Um, so on that rate, if he inherits all 93 targets and 75 catches, then he will have scored, because 75 times 2.56, he will have scored 192 fantasy points next year, which will have him finishing between 5th and 6th among tight ends in fantasy scoring. I believe that's in PPR scoring, by the way. So that is a pretty darn good year. That's very interesting interesting. interesting to look at and of course that is going to equate to quite a bit of numbers Um, that would absolutely consider him a pretty solid sleeper right there and i don't think there's any arguing about it if he suddenly popped up to a tight end at the uh tight end six or a tight end five of course that's pretty clear the question of course being will he get that much volume or not and is he going to produce with that volume? In my mind, I think he's going to get that much volume, maybe slightly less, but I don't think it's gonna be significant. And i tell you why. He is going to an Atlanta team, like I said, that loves to throw the ball and they've got good wide receivers there. Yes, they've got Julio Jones and they've got um, Calvin Ridley, um, but they still managed to get the ball to Hooper. And for me, one of my things is that I just don't think there's a reason to expect that to change. They will definitely still need a tight end to catch the ball. Even more than that, Austin Hooper wasn't as great as many people think him to be. Austin Hooper was a fine tight end, but I did just talk about him in my Boomer Busts video, so definitely check that out because I covered some of the numbers on him, and Austin Hooper was a good tight end as far as he was a good blocker, and he was Got good hands. But he was not making big plays. He wasn't the fastest, the most explosive, or anything fancy. He was just a come in and do your job sort of tight end. Something that, you know, kind of lowers the bar. And ultimately, I think Cooper was a bit of a volume guy where him and sort of like Darren Waller and some of those guys were, they're fine tight ends. They're good tight ends. But they got seriously boosted by their volume. Not necessarily because they created that volume, but because the quarterback needed somewhere to throw the ball. When you've got reliable hands, you catch it, you just fall over, whatever. Um. Hayden Hurst however he's got some really good interesting things as far as his metrics are really impressive Hurst averaged more yards per catch average yards after the catch and generated a higher passer rating than Austin Hooper so of course that is some good news right there and again especially when he's going to come in and probably be a little bit better in the after the catch sort of numbers and things like that I don't want to break it down too much but I think he can fill Austin Hooper's shoes I really do And what's really interesting to see is how he's going to handle that volume. He is absolutely in a new situation he's never been in before. He went from last year with the Ravens, who attempted the fewest passing attempts in the NFL, and he was the tight end two behind a stud, Mark Andrews, who is gobbling up red zone targets. Red zone, red zone, red zone targets. Now you go to Atlanta that has two good wideouts but neither Calvin Ridley or Julio Jones are red zone receivers those guys are not absolute studs you know at the tight five yard line, whatever that may be. I think they're going to look to him to be a bit more of a red zone guy, a role that he hasn't got to do yet. And that's going to benefit him quite a bit. You guys know that touchdowns are king. And if he can get those touchdowns, if he can fill in that role and be the new Austin Hooper, yes, I do believe he can finish in the top six or seven or eight at the tight end position. Um, My only concern is how far will his ADP rise? How early will you have to take him? By the time your draft actually comes around, that's something to monitor and to watch and of course just take them around that range you don't want to you know get too excited and draft him before you know a stud like Kittle or Kelsey but hopefully if you're watching this video you're smarter than to make that mistake but uh for me, that's Hayden Hurst. I'm probably not as big on him as everybody else is, but I do like him, and you do have to be excited about him because there are definitely big things coming for him. Ultimately, again, the question is a matter of balance. Just about any guy can be a sleeper, and any guy can be a bust. It's all depending on where you're going to take him at, and so pay attention to that um, and when you're doing your draft. And this is maybe a little thing that I would always say to you guys. If you are planning your draft, if you're the commissioner of a league, have your draft as close to the season as possible. That way, when you're going up there and making your picks. Everyone knows what's happening. I hate to, and I've had it happen before, go out, draft a team, have a really good draft, and then a running back gets hurt in the offseason, and that completely screws my team. That happened to me with Jamal Charles and Le'Veon Bell in the same year when they both went down. I believe they went down midseason, but you get the point. That can really screw some things up. Now imagine if it happens in the offseason. So again, I'd at least like to put that off as much as possible, and that's going to give us a lot of time to see ultimately where his ADP will be. And then finally, I would say to do mock drafts. And the reason why I think you should do mock drafts is it does help you get a feel for when these guys are going to be taken. And it helps you get a good plan for it, as well as, hint, hint, mock drafts. I want to let you guys know that we'll probably be doing a mock draft uh, within the month. I'm not sure when we'll be doing it, but I do want to hear from you guys if or is that something that you guys would be interested in. But, guys, that's all I've got to cover today. Thank you so much for watching. You guys have a great day and God bless.